4: to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'm going we'll make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to explain. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC to Jim Kramer. Darn those stupid facts! They just won't play the game. Today we heard so many nerves to so many companies, and I found myself thinking that all is not well in corporate America, which is why the averages stumbled in the morning, down ultimately closing down 96 points. S&P advanced 0.29%, while the Nasdaq, not burdened by the slings and arrows of a sluggish economy gain 0.43%. Yet yeah, today's reminder that the companies still have plenty of problems, especially the bigger companies, in many cases because of inflation. Some of those that raise prices are now seeing shrinking sales, and that means it's time to roll back their product pricing and, sadly, their stock prices with it. It's disturbing, but it's also par for the course at this point in the business cycle. You need a stock like a Netflix, which reported a beautiful set of numbers this evening and isn't hamstrung by anything other than its own creativity, ingenuity, and anti-password sharing abilities to make its own numbers. See, right about now, when the Fed's raised interest rates so aggressively that it had to declare a pause, we're finding out the reasons for that pause, why it's needed. But we're also hearing why the Fed might not be tightening, done tightening or at least be reluctant to cut in the spring, because inflation is as sticky as a Cinnabon. Now, before I get too granular, let me b- point out the backdrop this earnings season. When the Fed was tightening like crazy, we punished stocks indiscriminately. Then when the Fed pivoted and acted like they were done raising rates in the fall, everything exploded higher. Everything, including stocks that didn't deserve to rally. And now those unjustified gains for the stocks that shouldn't have rallied are being rolled back, and in some cases, rolled back aggressively, while others that made their quarters, and then some when we thought they wouldn't, are exploding higher. How about some examples of both? Now, we know that housing is supposed to be hurt by higher interest rates, but high rates clearly didn't dent The numbers from high end home builder Toll Brothers and the geniuses at Lennar when they reported last month. But today we got results from DR Horton. That's the largest home builder. And people didn't like the numbers at all. Margins, which would be going so well for all the other home builders, didn't go well for Horton. Worse, Horton had to offer incentives, complicated mortgage incentives that amount to giving people breaks to buy their homes. So the stock plunges more than $14 or 9% today. Although keep in mind it had run from $100 in late October, the pivot, to nearly $158 yesterday. People were betting that lower interest rates would save Horton, but they forgot that those rates are headed lower precisely because companies like this one are starting to feel the pain. pain. Or how about 3M, where my dad used to work? This story company saw its stock roar from $85 at the October lows to $108 yesterday. Just a gigantic run. However, today we discovered that some of 3M's core businesses got hurt during this period. Big divisions, home, health, auto declined by low single digits. Stationary office products declined by high single digits. Oh, on top of that, things didn't Even improve enough at the end of the quarter for CEO Mike Roman to justify a bullish full year forecast. Instead, the 2024 guidance was below expectations, so 3M, those dives, 11%. 11% is a big move. That's a Dow stock. That really hurt the Dow. I got the sense that without the rate cuts, 3M might have a hard time even making the new forecast. Some companies had super strong earnings to the point where you'd expect their stocks to soar. General Electric just put up some amazing aerospace numbers, and I figured its stock would catch fire, especially because it's about to spin off its renewable energy business, which, by the way, looked pretty good. Yet the stock actually opened down for. Now, GE's been blessed with its own cycle, the aerospace cycle, which acts independently of the Fed. That said, CEO Larry Colt made it clear that there's still way too much inflation in the system and too many supply tra- chain problems, too. It's a credit to Colt that he was able to translate those orders into revenues and then earnings. But GE somewhat weaker than I expected. And when I, I, I dug down, I realized that supply chain issues and inflation really were the culprits. It's kind of like a covid a throwback. I chalked it up to what can you do when your business is that strong? You're going to have some inflation. But if you want to see the flip side of those stories, why don't you check out the stocks of Procter & Gamble and RTX? That's the old Raytheon United Technologies combo. Both these companies had some real issues going into the quarter. Procter's become a serial disappointer of the consumer p- products group. This is a company that regularly turns a silk purse into a sal's ear, whatever the heck that means. Procter couldn't tell a positive story about the Cincinnati Bengals if they won the Super Bowl which they didn't. So Procter's stock has been a total... We didn't get any pivot at all from this one. In fact, the stock coming in today was down from where it was trading at the end of October when the rest of the market bottomed and then rallied furiously, leaving P&G way behind. But because we were ready for Procter & Gamble to once again throw ice water on the positives, it was shocking when management didn't do that, when it didn't make you feel like an idiot, an asbestos idiot to use French for owning the stock. In fact, they said people aren't trading down. They're buying P&G's best-of-breed branded products, which allowed their margins to go up. I think the stock would have done nothing if not for the expectations game. But the bar was so low, set by the company, of course, that the stock shot up 4%. Hey, a pleasant surprise for my channel trust, which owns it, and we'll discuss at tomorrow's investing club meeting at noon, which I know you won't join, but I don't care. Actually, you probably will, and I really like it. In the end, when Procter didn't mess up the presentations for once, the stock roared. No doubt aided by short sellers who have been betting once again that management would continue to be their own worst enemy and would crush their own stock with negatives because that's all they seem to know how to do. I I, I told my wife to stop using Tide. I was sick of it. I said, give me some positives. Switch to that Unilever garbage. She stayed with Tide. See, we're weighted like everybody else. RTX may be the real tough one here. The stock rallied hard up 5.2% because the company was able to contain a warranty problem involving its geared turbofan aircraft engine. Going into the quarter, there was talk that the $3 billion reserve RTX had taken for the engine problems back in September wasn't big enough. Lots of shorts were betting that way. Yet now we find out that $3 billion was probably much more than they needed. So the stock ignited. What I found most interesting, though, was how outgoing CEO Greg Hayes explain to me that the Federal Reserve shouldn't even be thinking about cutting interest rates. Talk about a, a parallel universe of, that no one's thinking about, but Greg runs a big company. Take a listen to this. You won't believe it.
2: The fact is, there is still a lot of pressure on inflation. Last year, give you an example, we saw $2.3 billion of cost growth from our supply chain and from our labor base. That's about $800 million more than we expected. So, the thought that the battle against inflation is over is, I, I think, misguided. I think this idea of cutting rates when you have 3.7 percent unemployment uh, is also misguided. The fact is we need more participation in the workforce and we need to get wages back to a sustainable level of increase.
4: Now, I know Jay Powell watches it or DVRs to show every single minute. So he's probably shaking right after you've seen that. Okay, probably never seen it. But anyway, that was pretty amazing, wasn't it? Makes you feel like the Fed should be tightening, not loosening. And there really lies the problem. We have so many stocks that rallied because buyers were betting on low inflation, a strong economy, and a series of rate cuts. Do we really want those rate cuts? Sure, if you're a suffering home builder like D.R. Horton, but no way if you're a manufacturer like G or RTX. They still see way too much inflation in the system, and lower rates will just exacerbate their problems. Holy cow, these were two incredible calls. Which brings us all the way back to the top. Today, we realize why the Fed's doing nothing and should stay doing nothing. Maybe we're finally getting relief in home prices. Maybe we're on the cusp of solving the inflation problems of RTX and GE. Maybe Procter can be innovative enough to fend off lower price competition. Or maybe this economy needs another rate hike to make sure all that happens. Boy, is that ever not on the table, huh? Is that ever a contrary view? Bottom line, when you're on the battlefield, the father war is so thick, you don't know if it's time to raise rates. or cut them could go either way, which is why it's nuts that so many money managers are betting on a premature rate cut in March. They ought to go read the conference calls that I did today. They will learn how wrong they are going to be. I want to take calls right now. I want to go to Elizabeth in Florida. Elizabeth.
2: Booyah, Mr. Kramer. How you doing?
4: I'm doing well. How about you, Elizabeth? Great.
2: So, I'd like to know your thoughts on Nippon Field Corporation stock ticker and uh, having the acquisition with the United States Steel Corporation, Stock Ticker X. And what are your
1: thoughts on if it's a good time well, to buy?
4: Well, look, I, I, th- I think they're overpaying. Um, But they have a strong yen, and they really want to be in here. Um, I don't want you buying the stock. If you're going to own a steel company, you're going to own the best steel company in the world. And that is Nucor. Look, we're in a battle about whether the Fed should cut rates or cut rates really hard. And I learned today that perhaps not cutting rates is the way to go. And the people who think they're about to be cut big are nuts. So many managers are betting that way, though, that i got to start thinking about how wrong they can be. Hey, buddy, tonight, I'm focusing on a major theme that could unfold in 2024. That's the comeback of the PC market and break it down for what it means so that you can make some money. Plus, could Logitech bank on the, the trend of PCs? Hey, you know what? After today's post-starting's drop, I'm going to chat with the company's brand-new CEO, find out how it's positioning itself. And an app company in Kazakhstan just had the biggest IPO since Birkenstock. I'll reveal what its debut means for companies hoping to come public. And let me just tell you something. It is downright bullish. So stay with Craig
2: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact.
3: Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet.
4: I know I'm alone, but I keep telling you the personal computer business is about to turn. More on that later. But how do we square that call with today's horrific 12% sell-off in Logitech International, which makes all sorts of computer peripherals and gaming accessories? Last night, Logitech reported some strong numbers. 39-cent earnings beat off a 14 basis with higher-than-expected sales to boot. Unfortunately, rather than focusing on all that good stuff, Wall Street seized upon a single line from the company's guidance, and I quote, Looking ahead to fiscal 2025, we do not anticipate an inflection point in the slope of this curve, end quote. In other words, they've had negative sales growth, and they don't see that going positive in the 12 months ending in March of next year. We'll delve into that. But in response, the stock got crushed. So how worried should we, given the fact that the company also gave us terrific earnings beat? Let's check in with Hanukkah Faber. She's the brand new CEO of Logic International. You get a better read of the situation, Hanukkah, welcome to Mad Money.
0: Thank you so much, Jim. It's an honor to be here. Oh,
4: thank you. Now, you know, we had and uh, I'd say Brackendale may have been on the show more than almost anybody else in the history of, uh, of Mad of money. Uh, so we only have his impressions of the company. Tell us your first impressions of what Logitech is like.
0: Yeah, thanks so much. Um, It's a great company. Um, And I've been here all of six weeks now, um, but I'm super excited about what I'm seeing. Obviously, the company has a great track record of value creation, um, but it has so much more. Uh, Fantastic product, engineering, design capabilities, a really good global brand, a presence in more than 100 markets with really good go-to-market capabilities. Um, And finally, it's a real pioneer in sustainability. So I'm delighted by what I found.
4: All right. So people should know you worked at Procter, most recently Unilever, where you led their $14 billion nutrition group group uh, president. Uh, so these are clearly uh, as it looked back into two uh, came from the consumer uh, packaged goods segment, which I really like because it produces so many well-trained people. But what have you, what can you bring from that background to make Logitech uh, it, to get it even higher in this game?
0: Yeah, no, I think a couple of things. Um, As I said, Logitech is a really good brand. Um, It's good, has wonderful awareness. Is it truly iconic yet? I'm not sure, so that's certainly something we will try and do over the years ahead. Um, the other thing is geography. We are in more than 100 markets. Um, but if you look at the share per the, the sales per capita by country or the share of wallet, if you will, there's huge differences. Uh, in fact, our best country, we sell about 200 times more um, than some of the lower countries per capita. So loads of opportunities um, looking forward at at growing that business further. And then, of course, there's innovation, which is the lifeblood of this company. And we've got so many wonderful things in market and in the pipeline. So I'm very optimistic.
4: Before we get to this, I just want to give you an opportunity to not to take back something, because that's not what the game is about, but try to put in a little more context the idea that one one point about how sales may not so-called inflect, because I think that you were being cautious, I don't think you were looking at the tea leaves and saying it ain't our year
0: <laughs> um. I think that's well said. What we wanted to do in our um, in, in in our reporting today is is make sure that we're a little cautious um, because while there's a lot of stuff that Logitech's got going for it, we do think the recovery to growing top line sales will be gradual, and that's because there's so much happening in the external environment. We see global GDP growth a little uneven at the moment. Um, we see inflation being a little stickier than maybe we would like. And on the corporate side, which is really important for our B2B video conferencing business, we're seeing that IT corporate IT budgets haven't quite come back. Uh, they haven't snapped back to where they used to be. And U.S. office vacancy rates just hit an all-time high at 20%. And an empty office doesn't buy any Logitech stuff. So, um, uh, you know, there's just a lot of things happening in the market. That's why we're a little cautious um, but growth is a matter of when, well, not if, well, for well, Logitech.
4: Good, because you bought a huge amount of stock back. I mean, if you're really, I think you put your money where your mouth is. And if you're really, really, really concerned, I think you wouldn't have bought. A, you would not have bought a share of Logitech stock for the company.
0: Absolutely. And we've been buying back a lot. Uh, We've been throwing off a lot of cash, Um, really a unique Q3 in terms of cash, uh, over 400 million dollars worth of cash. We now sit on a billion four. We have no debt. So a really pristine balance sheet, um, which is great. It gives us firepower going forward.
4: Okay, so let's talk about uh, something that I think is very important. For the gaming side, which you're legendary in, we've been looking uh, very closely for for GTA 6, for Grand Theft Auto 6. And you have to have the latest and greatest in order to be able to do this stuff. And uh, my friends who are gamers don't want to be in third tier uh, hardware. They want Logitech. Can GTA spell kind of like almost like a PC refresh cycle for you? Can it be that important?
0: Well, of course, we love gaming. It's a big part of our business and longer term, um, again, those macros and gaming are really strong. Uh, it used to be a pretty narrow audience gaming, younger men. Right. It is now men and women. It is older people and younger people. It's not just shooting games. It's really a way to socially connect, so gaming, gaming is a good neighborhood to be in. Um, A single game is not going to change our business. Um, What changes our business is some of the great innovation um, that we're putting out there. So if I look back to Q3, um, a couple of the things that we're excited about um, is our simulation business. So that actually is wheels and driving. Um, We're gaining share there. Those are some really great products, our, um, our, our wheels. Um, Also, to really premium end, our ProLite mouse um, is the gaming mouse every great gamer wants. um, And that premium side of the business is also doing really well. We're proud of of what's happening in gaming. And again, the future there is bright.
4: I've read a lot of companies that are having trouble in China. I did not know how you were viewed as the super premium category in China, which apparently is holding up extremely well.
0: Yeah, China is really important to us. And, and again, as you say, especially that premium in China is very important to us. It's doing well. We had a good quarter there. Um, and um, yeah, we like China.
4: Well, look, I just think that uh, you kind of got a reset in the stock price, probably undeserved it to some degree, but it sounds like things are going very, very well. We are thrilled to have you in your first interview. And uh, Hanukkah, we're looking forward to having you on many times from Mad Money. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's Hanukkah Faber, the new CEO of Logitech, L O G I, stocks down on what I regard as being a moment of caution. You just heard what she had to say. She was not pronouncing the end of any sort of cycle, just being, I think, what you have to do, conservative if you're going to start and have a good run of things. Matt Money is back after break.
2: Coming up, Kramer is bullish on the PC market. Why hardware and why now? Explained. Next.
4: I keep telling you that 2024 is the year where the personal computer makes a come back. I think there's a huge PC refresh cycle coming in tonight. I'm going to explain why, and we're going to make a lot of money from it. This industry's had a weird trajectory for the past four years. There was this explosion of PC sales in 2020 and 2021, totally unnatural, as people bought new computers so they could work from home. Then we got over the pandemic, and the whole industry ended up with way too much inventory. They had built thinking it would last, um, this crazy demand would last forever. They'd ramped up production assuming high levels of demand would never stop, but in reality, you just don't need a new computer every year, do you? So 2022 and 2023 were truly ugly years for the PC business and everything that went in them. In the middle of last year, though, we started hearing optimism about a bottom in PC sales. Now, some of that's simply timing. If you bought a new computer in the spring of 2020, it's almost four years old, which means for many, it's time for replacement. At the same time, the artificial intelligence revolution has made upgrading your computer more essential because you need new hardware to run anything AI-related. When you drill down to the quarterly PC sales stats from Gartner, it's clear the turn has already arrived. After being down 9% in the third quarter, PC sales were up 0.3% in the fourth quarter. Okay, not a fantastic number, but it represents a huge shift in the overall trajectory. And on Wall Street, we We always call it this kind of thing, inflection point. Yet the global PC market finally had positive year-over-year shipments growth after eight consecutive quarters of declines. Never been like that before either. And the U.S. numbers were even better than the global ones. So how do we play it? How do we make money from this? I want to make money from it. How about you? All right, look, I can give you any number of answers here. There's a legion of semiconductor companies that will make more money as PCs start growing again. Everything from memory chip makers like Micron and Western Digital, where some of the parts much more than it is, ultra-high-tech graphics cards makers like NVIDIA, AMD's a huge PC play. In fact, the theme may be even so strong that I'm going to throw in Intel, even though it's been losing market share to AMD for years. Now, some other large tech companies will get a boost for the PC refresh cycle. Apple's seen weaker max sales of late. That could change. Not that important to the actual stock price. Hey, similarly, you better believe that Microsoft's core business will do better in this environment, and that is important to the stock price. But you know what? Let's not complicate. Let's not overthink. All right. This is really what bad investors do. They come up with a preposterous thesis and hope that everyone comes up with it. You want to bet on a rebound in PCs? Why not just buy the PC makers like Dell and HP Inc., which collectively account for roughly half of U.S. PC sales? HP and Dell actually have very different value propositions. Right now, Dell stock has been absolutely en fuego, climbing steadily higher, higher, higher since the market-wide bottom October 2022, especially over the past 10 months or so. You know, this stock's up to 150%, up to 150% in the past 15 months, making a new all-time high just last Friday. Meanwhile, HP Inc. has been meandering sideways... The stock was working its way higher for much of last year, then pulled back hard during the late summer sell-off. HP's rebounded over the past few months, but it's still down substantially for its highest last summer. I smell opportunity. Why such disparate performances? This is a little simplistic, but you should think of both Dell and HP as companies that make PCs, but they also do something else. For Dell, the something else is servers and storage infrastructure. That's critical for data centers large enterprises. For HP, the something else is printers, which are, I'm sorry to say, slowly fading to obsolescence. See, and that's what's keeping HP da- heat down. That's why it doesn't rally like it should. Now, both of these companies saw mid teens sales declines in their latest fiscal year, but Dell could point to strong orders and customer interest in its server and infrastructure business. Well, HP uh, got to tell us, uh, I don't know, that 3D printing will be big someday, even if 2D printing seems like a goner. And that's the main reason why Dell stock has been a much better performer. I don't know. I I have spent a huge amount of time trying to figure out how to get out of the HP conundrum here with the printer. I have not been able to come up with it. But then again, they haven't either. At this point, if you want to think HP is a value proposition, that's fine. It certainly represents value here, with the stock selling for just 8.6 times the midpoint of their full year earnings forecast. At the same time, HP's paying you to wait. They got a robust 3.7% dividend yield. We spoke to CEO Enrico Loris uh, in November, right? At first, company reported an inline quarter with a forecast for the next quarter that was widely considered disappointing. <laughs> The stock rally anyway, which told me that the bad news is already baked into HP stock. More importantly, I think Laurie's told a great story about uh, HP's outlook for the year ahead, and he's the first one who called my attention to this AI-driven PC upgrade cycle. Thank you, Enrique. If you want a value stock, you got my blessing to pull the trigger right here. Bye, bye, bye. HP. How about that? All right, after a huge run over the past 15 months, this stock's more expensive than HP, but honestly, not all that much expensive. Incredibly, even after that 150% gain from the bottom in late 2022, Dell trades at only 11.6 times earnings. You know, people keep saying the market's so expensive. You think that's expensive, 11.6? You don't know what you're doing. Uh, 11.6 times earnings estimates for the 12 months end next January. Dell also pays a dividend, though its yield is much more modest than HP. says 1.8%. Its yield is modest, of course, because the stock shot up. We know that investors don't love to pay up for the hardware companies, but it's not like the stock's going crazy expensive. When you consider that we're at a point where the PC sales growth is inflecting from negative to positive, meaning the turn's happening right now, I think Dell's shares could be blessed with even more multiple expansion. I do hope Mike is watching and, and can come in because Michael is a super guy. Easy to make the case, Michael Dell, easy to make this the case that this $82 stock is headed for the triple digits. Probably sooner rather than later. Let me give you the bottom line here in a story and a thesis that I'm going to be pushing all of 2022 and 2022, 2024, all of 2024, and it, by the way, even tomorrow at my 12 o'clock meeting that you're probably not going to go to because you're so busy, you got something else to do. Uh, what are you doing? Like playing Grand Theft Auto 5 or something? Here's the bottom line. The turn in the PC market is already well underway, thanks to a natural refresh cycle and a newfound AI cycle. That still seems somewhat underappreciated to me. While there are plenty of ways to play it, I don't want you to overthink it. You want PC exposure by HP or Dell, it's just not that complicated. HP is the value option. Dell has better fundamentals and much, much, much more momentum. I want to go to Paul, my home state of New Jersey. Please, Paul.
2: Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my hey, man, what's going on? Ha- hey, how you doing? Been a long time fan, but I haven't listened in a while, so I don't know how you still be- believe in SPACs, but I think I have a good SPAC here. AsPoint Point, A-V-P-T, they did two, $260 million in revenue last year, and they grow between 15% 20% the last four or five years.
4: All right, you got to call me sceptical. I mean, I got these rules. They got to be making money, thirst SPAC. I like Vertive. I like, Vertiv, like DraftKings. Those are like two SPACs of the 600 that I've looked at. Uh, so I'm not going there with the ab point. I just can't. I'm afraid of hurting somebody. I want to say, I walk, you know, I walk around a lot. I don't want some guy saying, hey, you buried me in ab point. So I'm going to take a pass. Let's go to Bill in Massachusetts. Bill! B- 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 booyah, Mr. Oh, Kramer. Oh, man. How, How are you are been? Ya? All right, big guy. What's shaking? <laughs> Hey, I got a few questions for you here, Jim. Uh, I know you're, uh, you're uh, uh, familiar with this company. Uh, for the last eight quarters, they've uh, beat their earnings on every for all eight quarters. I'm very impressed. You talked about this company uh, over the summer, and I picked some up. I'm very happy. It's up $65 this year. It's a digital data c- cloud company, uh, uh, Adobe. All right, so. Uh, I got my daughter uh, for the holidays. I bought her the full suite of Adobe, everything. I mean, the the actual, like, subscription. I have to tell you, this company is... Fabulous, and we all play with it. I mean, it's hers. I gave it to her, but you know, you're right. I mean, Adobe is incredible, and you can be so creative. People who have a creative bent, please try to get at least one part of the suite. I did buy the expensive one, and you'll know why this stock is up 15% in the last six months. It's such great performer, and that's because Shantanu Ryan has invented, well, his team has put out a product that is just makes you be creative, even if you're not. The turn of the PC market is well underway. And if you want some names to play, don't overthink it. Just think HP, Inc. for value or Dell for a little bit better growth. Now, there's much more mad money, including a Kazakhstan. You know, some people call it Kazakhstan. Those people are wrong. A Kazakhstan-based app company coming public. And it signals to me that the gates are open for the IPO market in 2024. I'm going to give you my take. Plus, China is cracking down on abnormal trading. And I say, give me a break. And I'll explain why. And no one will like what I have to say. But you know what? I don't care. Now, all your calls rapid fire tonight's sister of the Lightning Wrap. So, stay with Krim. What if I told you that a Kazakhstani soup rap just came public in US markets? And a $1 billion IPO that valued the company at over $17 billion. Sounds like something that might have happened in 2021, but it was only a few days ago. Last Friday, a company called Caspi KZ, which that's Caspi.kz, which owns the number one super app in Kazakhstan, started trading on the Nasdaq. Currently, investor demand for this deal was so strong they had to upsize it. Originally, they were going to offer $9 million American depository shares, but they ended up offering $11.3 million. That's incredible. And the stock actually did fine right out of the gate, rallying 4% on Friday. They have given back some of those gains yesterday. Not incredible. Oh, but we've seen far more hype debuts. So is Caspi.kz worth buying here? I'm reflexively skeptical. But how the heck would I know? I don't have a clue about the mobile software business in Kazakhstan, although I do know where it is on the map. I will say that we've seen super apps from faraway markets come public before, and they've been, you know what, real, real disappointments. The whole concept here is a mobile platform that offers a wide array of digital services, like a Uber, like a DoorDash, Instacart. Venmo, all rolled into one. They're surprisingly popular in emerging markets. I first heard of super apps from a company called C-Limited, which is a variety of gaming, uh, e-commerce, digital pl- payments from businesses across Southeast Asia. Boy, it sounded so fabulous. I mean, I was like, put together just for us, right? The stock was red hot in the bubble days of 2020 and 2021, rallying more than 800% from the end of 2019 through its peak in late t- 2021. <laughs> At its high, C-Limited had a market capitalization of over $200 billion. But then the stock just collapsed. Sell, sell, sell. Once the Fed started tightening, it never came back. At this point, it's down nearly 90% from its peak. And yet it still has a $23 billion market cap. It's probably too big. After C-Limited, was another one was called Grab. Yeah, this was a digital player that was supposed supposed to be the leader in the Southeast Asian super app space. Grab came public in what was ultimately the largest of of the hundreds of SPAC deals during the SPAC boom, when they valued the company at eye-watering $40 billion. But the stock fell through the default SPAC starting price of $10 on its first day of trading after the SPAC merger closed in early December of 2021, and it never came back. These days, Grab is valued at less than $12 billion. That, too, may be too high. So forgive me if I'm not eager to get in bed with another super app story, especially one from Kazakhstan. Okay. yeah, this place is unbelievable, which is just slightly out of my area of expertise. But if you like it, how about this? If you can name the currency of Kazakhstan, uh, you can consider investing in Caspi.kz. It's the Tangi. Yeah, the Tangi. That's right. And Kazapsky had uh, Kazap KZ had an astounding 1.34 trillion Tangi in revenue over the nine month period ending in September. That's a heck of a lot of Tangis, isn't it? Although it translates to just under three billion dollars in US dollars. Alright, in fairness, Caspi.keezy is indeed solidly profitable. And Kazakhstan's a like, you know pretty like a play good place to go. It's like a tourist attraction. By my very rough, no, no, by my extremely unbelievably rough estimates, this company seems like you could earn close to $9 per share in 2023, which would mean it's selling for roughly 10 times trailing earnings at these levels. Again, though, unless you're very well traveled, it's just too hard to understand a company like this when you're living in America and you don't visit Kazakhstan regularly. So why bother? I'm bringing up the successful Caspi.KZ deal, not because Kazakhstan really is a giant turn on or I like Borat or any of that stuff, but because the stock's warm welcome on Friday seemed like a clear sign at the IPA market, IPO market. IPA market, too. I like IPAs. They, they taste like Cheerios. The IPO market's officially open for business. The Caspi.KZ deal wasn't exactly wasn't actually really the first listing of the year. That would be Smith Douglas Homes, and that's a small home builder operating in the Southeast, which kicked things off on January eleventh. That one's done pretty well. Pricing at twenty one dollars, popping to twenty four dollars on the first day, hanging on at twenty four change. Remember, the definition of a good deal in mad money terms is one that lets you get stock and goes up not a lot but a little because the ones that go up really big you never get stock in anyway and the ones that are bombs well I'm going to call them out later this week we'll move, uh, we're will move. we going to have three more deals including a fairly large $880 million offering from Bright Spring Health and a couple of decent sized biotech deals CG Oncology and our event Biopharma you know what I say we are off and running I think it should be an exciting year in the IPO front with potentially huge deals from fintech unicorns fintech like Plaid, Chime, Klarna, consumer-facing brands like up-and-coming athleisure brand, Viore. I know I'm proud of but I went to one of the stores in Dallas. It was cool as all get out. Kim Kardashian's shapewear, eh, not to mention loungewear, and intimate company Skims, and other flashy names like the peer-to-peer car rental platform, Turo, and potentially the sportswear e-commerce giant, Fanatics, and not Brion. I thought I should put one in that I know. The most exciting deal of the year might be a little tricky though. I'm talking about Sheehan, not Henry Shine, but Sheehan. That's the Asian fast food, uh, fast food, fast fashion company that's likely to become your daughter's favorite e-commerce destination. Although I have checked it out, and I was afraid to put my name in because I figured I'd be spammed from all points around the universe. I've long worn you away from Chinese IPOs because on average, they tend to perform a lot worse than their American counterparts. But Xi'an does have a really compelling story. And the company's technically moved from China to Singapore, even as large parts of its operations remain in the People's Republic. Tough call. It might be a situation where if you can get some shares in the actual deal, admittedly, highly unlikely, take it and then flip it. Otherwise, take a pass. But let's see how the numbers look when the deal arrives. It's just everybody's buzzing about the deal. I don't like the long, you know, if you order something from Shein, it's got like this kind of amorphous data when it comes. Whereas, like, if you order from Amazon, it tells you to sort it at your house before you even press a button. There are also a couple of IPOs that might be instant favorites of the meme stock crowd. These guys and I are such buddies, I can't wait. Last week we learned that Reddit's looking to come public in March. Reddit's the social media destination where the memesters organize. It's also where a lot of people get their information, which is I find quizzical. Then there's Discord which started as a way for gamers to communicate. is now more of a universal chat platform that lets people talk about everything from stocks to top-secret documents. Hey, you be sad how often classified stuff gets leaked on these platforms. We sat down with Discord CEO Jason Citron in September and got a kick out of that conversation. But I'll give you a, a closer look at the fundamentals once it's about to come public. But it, it's one of those things that if you're older like I am, you don't realize how good it is until you talk to, like, 100 million people and they tell you. But you know what I'm most excited about in IPO land? Simple. At least for now, I think this might be a market where you can actually make some money on these deals. This isn't like 2020 and 2021, when every IPO seemed to be sizzling, especially the good ones. Nor is it 2022, when nearly all IPOs were hated to the point where the bankers just kind of gave up with the whole process. Hopefully, the 2024 IPO market can be a lot like last year's IPO market, except with a lot more deals. In retrospect, 2023 was a good year for IPO investing because each deal was evaluated on its own merits, which created some terrific opportunities if you knew what you were looking for. For example, I told you to wait after a hot start for Kava Group, but then got behind the stock late last year after it cooled off. Since I went positive on November 1st, Kava's climbed nearly 50% from just under $32 to $47 and change. I also told you that I liked Arm Holdings for much when it came public September and that stock's now run for the low 50s to 76 and change. And boy, I still like that team. I would still buy the stock. It is totally gettable. Let's hope this investable period continues. Due to the quality of some of these companies, that are set to come public in 2024. I don't get you too excited and losing your discipline, especially with Reddit or Discord, which have huge cult followings. But the bottom line for now, I'm just optimistic on the IPO market and I can't wait until things really get going. The Kazakhstan deal was the, but that was like, I'm telling you, that was the. I want to really dig into something, some of these upcoming deals. I will get you into the ones that you can actually get into. I'll keep you out of the ones that you're never going to get any stock. So you don't just sit there and say, why did Kramer tell me to buy that stock? I can't get on it. We're not doing any of that game. Comey is not playing that game in 2024. Man, money is back after the break.
2: Coming up, Pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round
4: next. It is time for the lightning round. Kramer, that's right. i let's talk to everybody. My step-prins, your plan is up. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? skiing daddy, cover the lightning round. Let's start with Sam. In-master's is Sam. Booyah, Jimmy Cho. Yo, Chief, what's happening? Jim, I've been looking at the small cap industrial, and I wanted to get some of your market wisdom on it. What do you think of? Floor Corporation, FLR. Sad to say, I remember when it was a large cap and the rest of the market was big, too. It's kind of like Gloria Swanson, you know what I mean? Okay, here's the deal. Floor, they have missed the quarter more times than I think they've made the quarter. We're going to stay away from them, even though we do like the uh, infrastructure theme. We're not going to play it that way. How about we go to Sunil in California? Sunil! Hello, Jim. Good afternoon. How are you? I am doing well. How about you, Sunil? What's happening? I'm doing well. Happy New Year to you. Same. I have a question on a company called Illumina, stock symbol, I-L-M-N. Oh, Illumina. Okay, Illumina is a second-rate Danaher, all right? So you can be with the second-rate. No, whatever. Look, I have been with a lot of second-raters in my life, and I think that second-raters have a place, just like mediocrity had a place in the Supreme Court. But we're going to go buy Danaher. We're not going to buy Illumina, and we're just going to put the second-raters to the side for a moment. Let's go to Charlie in California. Charlie! Hey, Jim, hey, I want to start off by saying thank you, man. Your show inspired me to
2: start investing. I was a little intimidated about the whole stock market thing. I've been watching you for a while, and you inspired me to jump in. So the airlines have been getting my attention with the whole Boeing dip and everything like that. And with uh, American and the rest of them jumping today, is now a time to get into the airlines or wait.
4: Yeah, you know, look, I think you can make a couple of a couple of smackers in Delta, but there's nothing more than that. These are all trades. People should understand airlines are trades. They had a re- they had a, rena- a renaissance, to quote my friend Will Frost. That's kind of gone away. Now it's just up and down and up and down. I say stay away. We want to use like when he says we hear these nice things. Those would be such good. It's almost like a commercial for, like, the investing club or something. It would be something. I don't know. I'm just kind of talking out loud. <laughs> Let's go to uh, Michael in Colorado. Michael. Hey, Jim. Booyah from the Mile High City. Excellent. What's up? What do you think about the luxury segment for 2024? More specifically, what do you think about Ferrari, which some analysts put at a fair value of 275? Right now, uh, it's trading about 21% above it, that. It's hard. Value. It's hard. Right now, the premiumization quality of almost everything other than richmond is not doing well. I'm going to have to say, let's take a pass from Ferrari, and I have like a full time. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, what is recent news about Jack Ma signal for China stocks? Kramer warns not much. And explains after the break.
4: Stock manipulation is illegal in this country, and you can go to jail for it. But in China, the rules are different. Their stock market has been struggling, and it's become a pretty dangerous place for your capital. The solution? Chinese government spending 2 trillion yuan, or 278 billion dollars, to get the stock market going in the right direction. Yep, they're creating a stabilization fund, and I'm sure the Communist Party will be in there buying the best of the lot. Buy, 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 buy! Not just to make it so Savers will do better, but to lure in foreign investors like you who left the building in response to the Chinese market's poor performance. I can see many people in this country arguing that this stock manipulation is a good thing. So it's once again time to buy Alibaba and Baidu and JD.com and Neo, the car company. I'm sure they'll go up a little bit. The Chinese manipulation could cause people to get back into the Chinese market in a big way, though, because if you can buy Chinese stocks with a floor, I'm sure a lot of people think, why not go for it? Hey, maybe you can get some shares in the Red Hot Shein Company, which the government will take care of, and you can make some quick money provided you buy some of the Chinese dogs, the detritus that crush American investors. Yep, that's manipulation of a different color. That's honest manipulation. To which I say, are you kidding me? This news confirmed to me that the Chinese government is absolutely clueless as usual. They're not trying to make business better, perhaps by crunching the debt of the vacant apartment buildings. That would work. We did that during the savings and loan crisis 30 odd years ago. It was great. They're not lending companies more money so they can hire people and grow. They're not even sending checks and mail to individuals like we did during the pandemic. In fact, they're not doing anything that even the most unsophisticated capitalist countries do to combat a slowdown. Instead, they're just dumping a bunch of cash into the stock market, shameful and cynical, just like their government. Sarah Eisen asked me today what was the difference between the Fed buying bonds and the Chinese government buying bonds. Fair point. But the Fed buys bonds as part of a strategy to control interest rates and stabilize the economy. That's its mandate. Pouring money to the stock market in order to manipulate it doesn't accomplish any of that. In the end, we have specific rules against market manipulation in this country because the manipulation creates a false impression of economic strength. It lulls you into thinking that we're going to make money if we just buy stocks because the government will be in there propping them up in the end. In truth, no one, no government, is bigger than the stock market. And if the Chinese government decides it no longer wants to support stocks, who knows how much money you'll end up losing if you buy them? Much better to buy stocks of companies that are actually doing better because that money will keep coming in by the companies, not the government. What's the point in establishing a false sense of security about potentially worthless companies? Who knows? Maybe China should just go. Maybe they should just. Why are they outlaw selling? And maybe they restrict how much you can dump into the government's bid. Hey, I got it. Why don't you jail short sellers, guys? The Chinese government never ceases to astound me when it comes to the precision with which they rebut presumptions. we gotten used to the idea that President Xi was re- returning to his communist roots and cracking down on the billionaire class. But today we find out that Jack Ma's out there buying Bally- Alibaba stock along with Joe Tsai. I thought Ma had all but disappeared, but now they tried him out in a cynical bid to lure in more hapless foreign investors. He's become part of the propaganda machine now? Never forget, Chinese companies have these attractive spurts that lure in the unsuspecting, and then when the true fundamentals emerge, they crush you. Believe me when I say this time will be no different. It's just not worth the risk, even as our own cynical brokers, desperate for Chinese IPOs to make their quarter, will swear up and down that this time China's the real deal and you must buy it. You know who they are? They are what I call useful idiots ripe for President Xi's picking. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I'm pumped trying to find it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now.